Please take your seats. Good to see you all here today on our series on James. Just to um, let you know what's happening in the next few weeks, um, <clears throat> July is going to be a very special month here at Kensington Temple because July is going to be a special missions month in the church. Those of you that are regulars at KT, part of KT, you know that we're a very missionary-minded church working. We have over 109 different nationalities in our network of churches here in London. Um, we're often going abroad, and our senior minister leads the way. And when he travels, he doesn't go to all the big conventions here, there, and everywhere. He usually goes to places where the gospel really needs to be preached. And so in July, what we're going to be doing is really focusing on mobilizing and praying about missions so that because we want to take the mission of the church overseas missions to the next level. How many people know what the mission statement of Kensington Temple London City Church is? Do you know what it is, anyone? Hey, that's great. I tell you what, when your organization, well, that is great. Congrats, special blessings for you today. Yeah, London and the world for Christ. And that's our mission statement. So yes, London, but also the world. And we want everybody in Kensington Temple, not just to be London for Christ, but also to find their place in praying and going and believing God for the world. So the whole month of July, we're going to be having special guests coming. Uh, we've got a whole Saturday uh, it's on the back of the Revival Times, a whole Saturday for you, where we're going to train you on understanding Islam so that we can reach out to Muslims in London and the world. We've got, um, uh, I always forget his name from Operation Mobilization, George Verwer, thank you. George Verwer, we've especially asked him, uh, one of the greatest missionary sending organizations of the organizations of the world, Operation Mobilization, or OM. He's coming for a whole Sunday to gear us up and challenge us to go further in our missions as a church. Um, the five o'clock service, uh, next week we're doing James, but then for five Sundays we're taking a break from James. We're going to have different speakers at the five o'clock service. So next week we do James, then we take a break, and for five weeks we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about missions and also the missions of the church throughout the ages. We'll be looking at some very powerful missionary figures. So by the end of, of next July, uh, if you come to the five o'clock service, you are going to not just have a passion for world missions, but you're going to know a lot about it, not just what the Bible says about going to all the world, but how Christians have gone into all the world uh, from that time. So it's going to be exciting. We're going to be having special prayer times. Wednesday evenings will be geared even more to missions than normal. Got a half night of prayer. I'm writing, nearly finished, a, a missions booklet that will feature all the different areas that we're engaged in, in missions and want to be in missions as a church. And at the end of the booklet, there's a, a monthly, a daily prayer for everything that's going on each day. There's a different thing to pray for that you can do on a monthly basis. So it's going to be great. The cells are, are currently involved in fundraising. That's going to be a month of fundraising, and people are going to be do sponsored this and sponsored that. So I'm just sowing the seed because when it hits, it's going to hit. It's going to be a great time. And also so that you can sort of say, wow, okay, in July, Lord, 
make me a global Christianity, a Christian. Make me, make me, give me a missionary fervor. Whatever area you're going to call me to be, let me be somebody who prays for the world. Let me be somebody that thinks about the world. Because Jesus did tell us all, didn't he? Go into the world. He didn't just say go into areas. Anyway, that's going to be fun. So we're here doing James next Sunday. We'll take a break and then right back in August, we're going to continue in the book of James. And don't forget that all that we have we teach on these Friday services are on our media page. You go to the media page, you scroll down to um, series, press the series, and then it's all there. So if you ever miss a Sunday, or you want to go back on something, or you want to see one of our other series, like the Sermon on the Mount, or Israel and the Church, they're all there for you in an easy way, so that you can grow in your studies of God's Word. And this is what the five o'clock service is really about, so that we can study in a way that we can't do in other services. Um, There's very few churches that do what we do at the five o'clock service. Very few places that you can get this type of, sometimes we look at a topic, Israel and the church, or the end times. Other times we take something like the Sermon on the Mount, or as we're doing at the moment, the book of James, and we're going through it as God gave it to us, line on line. And when you do that, you become familiar with a book that you wouldn't become familiar with. And by the end of it, you, you understand that book in a way that well, you would never do if you never studied a book as it was given to us by the Lord. So we're in James, and if you've got your Bibles, we can go to James chapter 2 and um, verse 20. Let me just give you a little bit of a context of where, where we've been and where we're going. The book of James is talking about how to deal with trials on earth, how to deal with tests, how to deal with trials, how to deal with difficulties, how to deal with the tests and trials that you face, but also how to help others in their tests and trials. And God says that he will mature us through these times. God wants us to grow and mature through tests and trials. The big thing is that when a test or a trial comes, and these can be all types of tests and trials, they can be huge, big, life-changing tests and trials, or it can be just a little test at work when someone doesn't clean their cups up in the basin, in the break, and you look at that. The test is, you're going to leave it, or you're going to grumble, or you're going to clean it. What would Jesus do? (laughs) So what I'm saying is, James... And these things are about little things as well as big things. It's not just these huge things that we might face. And we need to ask for wisdom, and God will give us wisdom. He'll give us wisdom in His way at His time, but He'll give us wisdom so that we know what to do whenever we have to face something. And that's all there in chapter 1. We looked at the fact that we shouldn't blame God for our trials uh, because God is always good. And if we face difficulties, we should never blame God. God's on our side. You hear what I'm saying? It's not on the devil's side. The devil did a lot to Job, but God brought Job through. Job trusted God when his wife said, curse God and die. He said, no, though he slay me, I'll trust him. God came through for him. We've looked at things about the rich and the poor, and the fact that the thing is, is that the gospel's for everybody, Rich and poor, the gospel is for everybody, but it's specially designed for the poor. 
That's why the rich find it very difficult, number one, to get saved, generally speaking, and number two, to be disciples, because they've got so much that they can rely on themselves, whereas the poor, they've got nobody else but God. Therefore, they have to be rich in faith just to get through the week. The poor person has to be rich in faith. And so, also, uh, also, James is warning us about trying to get our needs met through human resources and not God. So some rich, famous person comes into the church and everybody flocks around them. Why? They want to be associated with them. They might get something from that rich person. And so they're treating that person with favoritism because they might get something out of it. Some person comes in with scruffy clothes. Nobody even bothers to say hello. Why? Because they've got nothing to give. And in chapter 2, we saw that James was talking about the uh, royal law in verse 8 of chapter 2. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying, you know, the royal law is the law of liberty. It's, we're not under the Moses law anymore. We're free from the Moses law. But Jesus said, a new commandment I have given to you, that you should love one another as I have loved you. We're not under the Mosaic law. We're free from the law. There's no more law. But God has given us a commandment. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. Do unto others as, they would have, as you would have them do to you, the golden, the golden rule and the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are the principles of Christian life. And the problem was, is that one of the problems was that the church James was speaking to they knew they were free from the Mosaic law and that they were saved, but they weren't taking seriously God's commandment to love one another and to look after one another. And so last week we came to verse 14, where it says of chapter 2, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And I said to you that this was one of the most misunderstood scriptures in the whole of Christianity today. I know many, many leaders that I've met from different churches, they have no idea what this verse is saying. And do you know why they have no idea? Because they haven't been doing what we've been doing, going through the book of James line on line so that we can see what James is talking about. Many people will just jump on that verse out of nothing, and they'll say, look, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? You see, if you don't have works or holiness, you can't get to heaven. You're not saved. Well, James isn't talking about that at all. He is, verse 14, the person that he says, can faith save him? It, 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 he's talking about the person way back in, in verse 6, the, the, the dishonored, the poor man. He's saying, can just blessing someone save somebody who's poor? And in the next verse, he explains this is not about being saved and going to heaven. The people James was writing to were already saved and going to heaven. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and you say, be filled, be warmed, what good is it to them? So can you see that James is talking about saving the person in a trial or test. And the example that he's been using is the test of having no food, the trial of having no clothes or not sufficient clothes. And he's saying, you know, be filled with food in the name of Jesus is not enough. It's not the royal law. That's not saving somebody from hunger. And saying, be clothed with clothing on high, you know. 
That's not going to clothe anybody. You have to put your faith to work. You have to go out and feed the hungry. You have to go out and clothe the poor in this test, which is an example that he's using, he's applying to the church. So this is not talking about being saved from your sins. This is talking about being saved from your trials and tests. Can just faith save you from your trials and tests? No. We've already seen you need wisdom in a tarot. Oh, God, save me from my trial. Is that it? Well, prayer's part of it, but you need to be quick to hear what God's saying, we've seen. You need to be slow to speak and slow to anger. And sometimes frustration hits us when we face tests and trials. It's frustrating. It's annoying. You can blame God. You can blame others. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You need to put your faith to work. You need to walk in God's truths. You need to apply God's truths. It's not enough just to say, I believe. After all, the date that we see in verse 19, that the demons believe and tremble. In other words, unless we put our faith to work in the tests and trials that we face and others face and help them, then our faith is as useful as a demon's faith. Say, do demons have faith? Not Christian faith, but they know that God exists. But they they don't follow God or put God's principles to work. On the contrary, they know God exists, but it benefits them not. How many Christians are there that know about God? They know the principles of prayer, but they don't pray. They know the principles of love, the wisdom from above that is peaceable. They're not peaceable. They're argumentative. They know these principles. They, they, they look, as James says, into the mirror of God's Word, and they see what the Word says about them, and they go away and forget about it and live and act as if they were non-Christians. No, my friends, if we want to see divine results in our lives, we have to do the divine things that God says. We've got to put the Word to work in our lives, or it will profit us nothing. And James says that faith without works is dead. And the second time he says that, in in some versions it says the word dead, but it's not the word dead. It's the word useless. Useless. Faith not put to work is useless. And so this is where we get to verse 20 today, where I pick up on um, where we've been. But do you not want to know, O foolish man, not wise, you see, do you not want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is useless? Not dead, the word there is useless. And then we have two great examples of people that put their faith to work. The first is Abraham, and the second is the prostitute Rahab. If you've been around at the nine o'clock service, uh, our John Glass was speaking very powerfully on Rahab and how she believed God and saved her whole household. So let me just read this portion that we're looking at now. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you not see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made mature? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him to righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then 
that a man is justified by works and not only by faith. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, as I mentioned last week, some people think that there is a problem in the New Testament that James has one doctrine of justification and the Apostle Paul has a different doctrine or teaching of justification. And they say this, look, have you just, look what we've just read. James says you must be justified by works. But if you read Galatians and Romans, Paul says that you can only be justified by faith and faith alone and faith apart from works. So look, we have two early church leaders in opposition to one another. One says you must be justified by works as well as faith. The other says no, faith alone. And some scholars, many scholars believe that there is a tension here, that there's a battle going on. But that's because they misunderstand that Paul is speaking about one thing and James is speaking about another thing. That Paul believes in justification by faith and also justification by works and so also James. So the important thing for us to see, and we're going to demonstrate this, is this, that justification by faith is all about your standing before God. And justification by works is all about dealing with your trials and coming through with God's approval. So justification by faith is about standing before God, clothed in Christ's righteousness, saved through faith alone. Justification by works is about showing that God is in your life and passing the test and the trial so that everybody can see, wow, that's a friend of God. That is a Christian. Do you see how they dealt with that and God brought them through? And that brings reward and reputation and blessing. So it's two different things. Now, let me just show you that um, Paul believes in justification by faith in order to get to heaven, and justification by works in order to deal with the problems of life, as James does. And I just want to demonstrate that briefly today. I could go more in depth, but briefly. Romans chapter 4 is worth turning to. Romans 4. Watch Romans 4 verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. We just read the same verse, didn't we, in James chapter 2. So I'll come back to that. They're quoting the same verse. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Now, let me just look at, look at these verses. What should we say about Abraham? Verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, 
He's got something to boast about, but not before God. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, if Abraham was justified by works, and he was, James showed he was, wasn't he? If Abraham was justified by works, can he boast to God? Can you read that? If Abraham was justified by works, it says, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So that means justification by works, you can never boast to God. Because it's not about God. It's not going to God and saying, look, God, I'm so holy. Look at all my righteous works. You have to let me into heaven because of my holiness. You can't do that, can you? The only way you can get to heaven is believing in Jesus. Remember, the only work that got you into heaven was Jesus' work on the cross. You can't add to it. You just have to believe it. Salvation from sin is a free gift. You don't earn it, pay for it. It's not like something you buy in a catalogue and you've got 50 weeks paying it back at 10 pounds, uh, uh, sorry, 50 months with 10 pounds a month and you end up paying for it. Salvation is totally free. You simply believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again and you shall be saved. So that righteousness, that justification just comes by faith. And you can't boast about that, can you? Because you had nothing to do. It was a free gift you believed. That's justification by faith. But Paul says that, shows that there could be another justification by works, but it's got nothing to do with God and boasting to God and getting into heaven. He says, Verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about. Now, what has he got to boast about if he was justified by works? Well, he, as we'll see, he can boast about the fact that he's a friend of God. He can say, hey, look, I don't, I'm not just saved. I am living the discipleship. You can see how I dealt with that trial. You can see my friendship with God. I didn't go the devil's way. I, I was tempted and tested by the enemy. But I believed God. I trusted God. I walked right with the word of God. And I was justified in that situation by works. Do you hear what I'm saying? Have you ever been in a place where you were tempted? You could go God's way or the enemy's way. You could have the works of the flesh and manipulate. But you decided, no, I'm going to go God's way. Isn't it true that in the end, God vindicated you? Might have taken a while. And there's nothing more wonderful than when you do it God's way, when you attempted to do it the human way. You do it God's way, and eventually, God comes through for you. What's that? You've been justified by works. And, and people around you go, wow, wow, I saw how you handled that. I saw you didn't fight back. I saw how you walked in wisdom. I saw how you prayed. I saw how you blessed and not cursed. Wow, that's what Christianity's all about. You can boast, not in an arrogant way, but you can, you can show that to other people. You hear what I'm saying? So if Abraham was justified by works, he was. He can't boast before God, but we're all, I'm boasting about Abraham today. And going back now to James, James is going to boast about Abraham. And he's going to boast 
about Rahab. In other words, he's going to say, look at their example. You see, when you believe and you are justified by faith, you're made right before God. It's just as if I'd justified, just as if I'd never sinned, aren't sinning, and never sin again. I am justified, not guilty before the throne of God. I've done nothing for it. I just believed in Jesus, and it was accepted as righteousness. Well, that's wonderful, but I haven't demonstrated to you that I'm a follower of God, have I? I've just demonstrated to you that I'm a child of God. And so James wants to deal with this. And so James speaks about Abraham and says he was justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar. But then in verse 23, he quotes the same verse that that Paul did in Romans 4. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You see... Abraham's justification by faith was at one point early on in his life. And Abraham's justification by works was at another point a lot further on in time. They were two different events. So let's go to the first event in Genesis 15. Just come with me because I want you to show you. It's not the same thing. They're two events, two situations. In Genesis 15, Paul quotes this often. Abraham says, you won't be childless. Sorry, God says to Abraham, you won't be childless in this chapter, Genesis 15. You're going to bear a son. Trust me. And uh, he said, look, look at the heavens in verse 5. See all the stars. Can you number them? No. Your descendants will be greater than those. And what happened? Verse 6. This is what James quoted. Verse 6. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. What happened? He was justified by faith at that moment. At that moment, he didn't know much about God. He was a pagan before God found him. He didn't know much about God. It was the beginning of his journey with God, really. He'd been said, go out from your uh, family and your land. But this was still early on in getting to know God. And he said, Abraham, you're going to have your Isaac. And Abraham says, do you know what? I don't know how, I don't know what, I don't know much about you. I believe your promise. And God says, because you just believe. You've done nothing about it yet. But because you just believe, you're saved. You're saved by faith and faith alone. Can you see that? And so um, that's the first passage that James refers to. Abraham believed God and it was credited for righteousness, James 23. But in verse 21 of James, he says, Was not Abraham justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? So he was justified by faith when he believed the vision of the stars. But James says, ah, but he was also justified by works. Well, when was that? A lot later on when he offered Isaac as his son on the altar. I'm not going to go to that, that, that section, but Genesis 22 talks about, about Abraham offering his son on the altar. And that's many years, 50 years later, some people believe, 50 years later. So it's two different events. Genesis 15, he just believed God and he was justified by faith. Fifty years later, Genesis 22, 
He, off, he was prepared to offer up his son Isaac, and he was justified by works. Two different events for two different results. Now, when Abraham offered his son on the uh, altar, it was a test. It was a trial. Aren't we talking about tests and trials in the book of James? Is that what we're talking about? We haven't changed. We began in James 1 verse 1. Consider it all, all joy, brethren, when you face various trials. We've not changed. We've, we've had this thread all the way through. We're not now talking about how to get to heaven. These people were saved. Their sins were forgiven. It was how to deal and walk with God on earth with tests and trials. And so the example of Abraham being justified by works is a test. It's the supreme test of his life, the trial. And through his life, he'd made many mistakes and failed some trials and tests. Gave his wife up twice, didn't he? She's not my wife, she's my sister. Didn't trust God. Left the promised land and fled to Egypt when God said, stay there, I'll bless you in that place. He made mistakes. He had his Ishmael, the greatest mistake ever. He failed the test and tried to produce what God had promised by human means. He made mistakes. We make mistakes. But here's him passing the test. God saying, sacrifice your son Isaac. And Abraham said, was at the point where he trusted God. And he said, you know, what? I'm your friend. You said my seed would come through Isaac. So that means, God, even if I kill him, you'll have to raise him from the dead. In Hebrews chapter 11, in the bit with faith's hall of fame, all the, those that were justified by works, that walked with God and did the deeds, says Abraham believed in the resurrection power of God. And so he was justified by works on that day. And so what, what happened was Genesis 15, justified by faith, he was a believer. But Genesis 22, he showed that he was a friend of God, that he walked with God, that he trusted God. And it glorified God because he could have failed that test. You know that? He could have said, no way, I'm not sacrificing Isaac. You gave him to me. I'm not killing him. Then I've lost him. I won't do it. Would he have lost his salvation? No, he was already saved in Genesis 15. But would he have passed the test and got the blessing of the passing? No. And if you look at what happens in Genesis 22... When he passed the test, he got blessing upon blessing and reward upon reward. And here we are today, boasting before man about how Abraham walked with God and that he's an example for us. Can you see what James is saying? Why? Because when he faced the trial, he didn't just say, I believe. He would believed 50 years ago. He said, I obey. To be justified by faith, all, all it is is faith. Oh, sorry. To be justified by faith, you just have to believe. You don't have to obey. You just have to believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead. And you are saved forever. Your sins are forgiven. You are justified before God by faith and faith alone. But... When you face your little tests or your big tests and your trials, when you face those, it's not enough just to believe, is it? You've got to obey. 
James will say, it's not the hearer of the word that is blessed, but the doer of the word. You have to put God's word into action, just like you can't feed somebody by going, be fed. Can't clothe someone by saying, be clothed. So you can't pass your test, your trial, and be justified before human beings as a friend of God in that situation unless you obey the Word of God. And every time you pass a test, and every time you go through a trial, little or big, you are building your case for being a friend of God. You know, you can be a son of somebody or a daughter of somebody and not yet their friend. Uh, one of my favorite songs when it's like Father, Son is, I actually just posted it this afternoon on my Facebook thing, and it's called Father and Friend. And what it is, is it's a song between a father and a son, and they're both singing it together. It's a duet. And they're talking about how he's not only a father, but also a friend. Now, God is our father, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's our friend, father and friend, name of the song. Google it on YouTube. It's a really good song, father and friend. You can be someone's son and not their friend at all. True? I've known fathers and sons hardly know one another or actually be almost enemies. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, does that stop him being a son? No. Does that stop him being a father? No. But are they friends? No. Well, James says that Abraham, in, in, in this passage, that Abraham, one of the things he demonstrated... Verse 23, and he was called the friend of God. Who by? Well, by God, but also by others. He said, you know, Abraham, he's a friend of God. Look, look, God's with him. So Abraham was not just the son of God. He became a friend of God. So we're children of God, every one of us, if we believe that Jesus died for our sins in our heart and rose again. We are children of God. But how many of us really are friends of God. Would God call you a friend? And you say, what do you mean? Well, Jesus said, you've been my disciples, but now I call you my friends. There was a point when Jesus said to his disciples, do you know what? You have actually, over this period of time, become my friends. Why? Because they did what he, did. They did what he asked them to do. They became friends. And so if you're a friend of God, you're going to be like God. If you're a friend of God, you're going to honor God. You're going to obey God. A child can be obedient or disobedient, but they still remain a child. But a friend is something altogether different. A friend is somebody who honors their friend. So this is exactly what James is saying. Are you a friend of God in the situations that you face? Are you his friend? Because if you are, you will um, uh, obey, obey him. Now, then verse 24, and, and that fulfilled which says, verse 23, that fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God for it was accounted to him as righteous and he was called a friend of God. What does it mean, that fulfilled? It means that the journey had come to the place of maturity, that the son of God had become a friend of God. And it fulfilled. It's not enough 
Well, it is enough just to believe to get to heaven. But we've been left on the earth to grow, to be friends of God, to be justified by action, to show in actions that we're disciples. And so when you see someone walking with God, it just shows you and shows the world what a son of God this is and that God is real. I mean, isn't it true sometimes the church lets God down in the world? Have you ever heard people say, you Christians, you're just a bunch of hypocrites? Now, sometimes that's just them, you know, being ridiculous. But sometimes it's true, isn't it? That, uh, what is a hypocrite? It's somebody that's acting apart. And so when someone says, you Christians are a hypocrite, they mean, they, what they're saying, they're saying you're fake. You're fake. That's what they're saying. But Christians can be fake, <laughs> How many of you met a fake Christian? I don't mean they're not saved. I mean, they're saved and going to heaven, but that's it. Their, their attitudes stink. Their actions are selfish. They're self-centered. They don't pray. They don't. They're saved, but they don't live like they're saved, do they? Well, Abraham got to the point where he lived like he was saved. He wasn't a hypocrite then, was he? Everybody could see. And that's what God wants us. He, just doesn't, he doesn't just want us saved from our sins. He wants us sanctified, which means to be like Jesus, to be holy, to be like God, to be his friend. Friends are very often alike. That's why they're friends. So, yes, you're saved when you believe, but God says, now you're saved. Surely you're going to grow and you're going to be sanctified. You're going to become like me. People will see God in you. They'll, they'll see that you're my disciples. They'll know that you're dis my disciples. What does the Bible say about how they will know that you're, you're God's disciples? Because you will. And they were back to the uh, law of liberty, the golden rule. They will know that you are my disciples because you will love one another. Are you still saved if you don't love one another? Yes. But does it show the world? No. Does it prove you're a friend of God? No, because you're not a friend of God. You're a son of God, a child of God. I think, you, have you got the point? Wonderful. So then we get to verse 24. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, this verse is talking about two justifications. And sometimes the translation doesn't make it as clear, it makes it sound like in order to go to heaven, you have to be justified by faith and then show that you're saved, to be saved. It's not saying that, as we've already seen different points in Abraham's life. Now, what this passage is saying, if I can just find it, uh, here it is, is this. When it says only, just the Greek word for only is monon, M-O-N-O-N. And that word monon, M-O-N-O-N, for those of you that are interested, if you're not, forget what I'm about to say, is an adverb. It's an adverb. What does it mean? It means that it's a word that's talking about the verb. Well, what's my point? Well, my point is this. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also... Oh, sorry, no, sorry, verse 24... You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. 
And so when I read it like that, it sounds like the only is talking about the faith, isn't it? Faith only. But actually, that's not true. The only, the word only is talking about justified. So in other words, it should read like this, verse 24. You see then that a man is justified by works and not only justified by faith. Okay? This is the best way of translating it. You see then that a man is justified by works and not only justified by faith. So in other words, there's two justifications. You're not only justified by faith in the Christian life. You are justified by faith alone to get saved. But also, there's another justification you need to be aware of. A justification by works that comes through passing the tests and trials and putting your faith to work. We've seen that. Abraham was saved in Genesis 15. And then in Genesis 22... By being obedient, he was justified by works, and he got his reward, his blessing, and his reputation. And then we come now to a second example. Verse 25, likewise. And that word likewise means in exactly the same way. So James is giving us two examples. Likewise, Rahab the prostitute. Isn't that amazing? I I used to think, why, why... Abraham, I can understand why Abraham was an illustration. But why Rahab? Well, I think James wanted to show, show everybody that this wasn't something that only great men of God like Abraham could do. And also to show us that being justified by works in a test doesn't have to take 50 years. It can take a few moments, a few days. It depends what you're facing. And Rahab, of course, she was a prostitute. Whereas Abraham was the great father of the Hebrew race. So it's almost like you've got the great man Abraham, and then you've got the ordinary woman Rahab. No matter how ordinary or you think you are, no matter what your past, you know what? You don't have a past that's any worse than Rahab. And she got saved, justified by faith, and also justified by works. She became a friend of God very rapidly. Now, I don't have time to turn to it. You, 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 uh, you, you can turn to it um, if you wish. And the story of Rahab is in Joshua chapter 2. So you might want to read that later. And you'll see that in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, she was justified by faith. Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. She had her moment of being justified by faith and saved from her sins. In Joshua 2, verse 9, she recognized that Yahweh, Jehovah, was the only true God. She believed. And it was reckoned to her as righteousness before God. So she believed that Yahweh was the true God. Nobody else did, or they would have opened up the gates and submitted and joined the Israelites uh, in Jericho. But she believed. She believed. And although, and then very soon and very quickly, she had to face a test. Because she believed, she decided she would act. And this was the test. This was what she had to do. She had to go against her own culture. She had to go against her own religion. She had to go against her own town, her own nation, her own king. 
She had to betray them and make that decision to go with God's people because she believed with God. She could have said, I believe God. I believe you got the real God, but I can't help you. I believe in Yahweh, but I can't help you. I just can't. I can't do this. But she did, didn't she? And you know the story. She took in the spies. She hid them. They said, put a scarlet cord out the window and you'll not be harmed. And she believed that, that, that the test and the trial that was going to come upon her, and let's face it, it was a huge test or trial. Number one, if she'd got found out, she'd have been immediately executed and all her family by the people of Jericho for betrayal. So that was a test and trial. She had to believe God and trust him. And number two, what if all the walls came down? What if she got destroyed? She had to trust that God would keep her. And so she was very active in her faith. And you know what? One thing we know about Rahab is this. She survived. She and her family, she put, her, she put it to work. She believed God and she said, you need to come. And she got her family, get into my house. Trust me, get into my house. God's going to come through. She, they were the only one that survived the test and the trial. And this is what James is talking about. Here's another one who didn't just believe God. She did and she was saved. But she put her faith to work in the test and trial that she faced. And she came through. And what blessing did she get? She became the ancestor, this prostitute. She became the ancestor of David and then eventually Jesus Christ himself. A prostitute pagan from Jericho not only believed God, but got through the trial and was a direct ancestor of our Lord and Savior Jesus. She was justified by works. The whole of Israel saw that in Jericho, there was one woman that was a friend of God. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messages and sent them out another way, put the thing into action. Saved from her what? Saved from her test. Justified by works. Got the blessing, got the reward, got the reputation. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is useless dead. So I hope this session today and last session will give you a clear understanding of what James chapter 2 is teaching about. Because let me tell you, and, and, and we are very, very few people that understand it. You, you, you go ahead, you go and ask some people at KT, although we teach on this here and there. You, you, you ask person in your cell group, what do you think James means in James chapter 2? They either won't have a clue or they'll say, oh, that shows that you can't get to heaven unless you do good works. <laughs> what, what sort of good works would God require us to have in order to prove that we're going to heaven? <laughs> I'm glad I'm not saved by works because I could never produce works of any type or or. or, or, or or standard to get myself into heaven. If God said, okay, you're saved by faith, Bruce, but you have to show and demonstrate you're saved to get into heaven, I'm finished. Because his standards are higher than your standards. And yet there are many Christians who believe that although they're saved by faith, they believe that they are holy enough to show that they're going to heaven. How awful to be in that bondage Justification by faith is all you need to be right before God. It's not your righteousness. 
It's the righteousness of Christ. You're clothed in Christ. When God sees you, when it comes to your sins forgiven, he sees Jesus. Before God's throne of justice, you, are no more, you can be no more holier than you are today because it's a holiness of faith. However, now we got salvation sorted out. When we look at the life we're going to lead, tests and trials of all sorts come our way to mature us and to bless us. Consider it joy because it's for your blessing. Are we going to be friends of God? Are we going to go do it God's way, the wisdom from above? Are we going to deal with it in prayer? Or are we going to be a friend of God and do what the Lord told us to do, even when our whole flesh says, do it differently. Do it like the world does it. Because if we go God's way, we will. In his timings, and sometimes it was long in that situation for Abraham, but very short for Ahab. In his way, he will eventually vindicate us. He will bring us through if we let him. Vindication is from the Lord. That's one of the things we need to do. He will do it. Not only will we know the blessings that we're going to heaven because we believe in Jesus, but better than that, not better than that, that's wrong, but even excellent, more excellently, we'll be able to say, hey, I'm saved, but I live saved too. I get delivered, I go through it, I have the right attitude, I've been tested. And there's nothing better, whether it's a small or big test, than doing it God's way. Because when you've done it God's way, the best thing is on the inside, you know you've done well. And the Spirit says, well done. And you go, I did it right, didn't I, Father? Yes, you did. But not just the internal, sooner or later, God's going to show you to be his friend before everyone. And guess what? When you pass a test, people are encouraged in their tests. When you go through a trial and demonstrate godliness, people go, hey, I'm going to do that. When you go through a trial and do it the world's way, people watch you and think, oh, okay, that's what we do. Hear what I'm saying? So we're going to go God's way. And not just for our tests, but when you see somebody in a test or a trial, this is why, this is, the world will believe you're my disciples because you love one another. It's not just about us and our tests and trials. It's about being a friend to somebody else. Giving them the wisdom that we're learning in the five o'clock service and encouraging them and supporting them so that they can have their victory too because you are there, a faithful friend, a wise friend, a supporting friend. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. Next week, we continue with the book of James and then we have a break as we enter our missions month. Thank you, Daniel.